Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Hello, it's Pat Sloan for American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show, and today is a whole hour of new-to-me, new-to-me techniques, fibers, and experiences. We're going to start out with techniques, and I am really, really happy to have Sarah Gallegos here, and she is the lady behind So Positively Sarah and many, many adventures that she's in. Sarah, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, I'm really um, excited to have you on here because we're going to talk about uh, sergers in a little bit. That's the uh, kind of new technique for me. But I'd like to get a little backstory for everybody about you um, because you are a fantastic teacher. Did you want to be a teacher when you were a little girl? You know, it's funny. I never in a million years thought I would end up doing what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it is, isn't it? You know, people, some people come out knowing they're going to be like whatever, but some of us just end up here. What, yeah. how, long, how long have you been working in the sewing industry? I've been working in the sewing industry for about 14 years, and I guess, you know, my college degree is in speech communication, so it was kind of a natural place for me to end up talking to people. didn't realize it would be sewing machines specifically. But yeah, I've been in the biz for, you know, 14, 15 years and with Baby Lock for about six now. Yeah, the that's how I met you is is um, because we both work with Baby Lock. And I, um, I love the approach that you take when you teach because you do a lot of video teaching. Uh, you do a lot of in-person teaching. How do you, how do you approach a classroom? I approach a classroom by thinking about maybe what uh, what technique seemed me a little confusing to me and how can I make that simpler and just a ton of fun. So if I can break down a technique or a complicated type of sewing and make it as fun and fast as I can mm-hmm. and then just exciting and silly and a good time, that's kind of how I approach my classes. We learn a lot, we get inspired, and we have a lot of fun. You know, because teaching adults is so much different than if you were teaching children, you know, how to read for the first time. Even though it might be a first time, adults are a little bit different community to teach. Absolutely. Absolutely. They have different questions and a lot of questions, of course. Yeah. (laughs) And trying to break down preconceived notions. Like sometimes we think we know the best way. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've done this for a while, and but it might be slightly different than what you've always been doing. Where do you teach, Sarah? So I travel around and teach for Baby Lock retailers, and then I've, I do some stuff online, videos and videos for Baby Lock. And I have a retail location, so I teach in my store at Decorative Stitch quite a bit, too. Yeah, where is your store? Because you know, I haven't been there yet, but I just bet it is fantastic. So we have like a big, fun, bright quilt shop and baby lock store, and we're in Shelby Township, Michigan. Oh, yay, yay. Uh, now, do you actually get to teach in the store that often? Yeah, I teach all of our owner's lessons, and mm. then I do a series that I call Skill Builder, just fun quilting techniques that I've wanted to play with that are maybe a little bit more advanced than your basic quilting, and then just whatever else you know piques my curious. Uh, personality. Sometimes it's embroidery, sometimes it's surging, all kinds of stuff. (laughs) 
you know, I, let's let's talk about the surging because Sarah, when I was out in June, um, we we did some work on a serger, and that was the first time I personally had ever used one. And I had to like wait a while till like all the people who'd done it before were finished because I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm doing, and uh, and I was like, oh, I wish Sarah was here because um, <laughs> you couldn't make that one. So. How do, you know, what I want to do is, because my listeners are mostly quilters, how do quilters explore their serger um, effectively, maybe? That's the right word. So for starters, a lot of times quilters get introduced to surging because quilters still like to make tote bags and purses mm-hmm. and stuff, right? So that's a really kind of easy place to experiment with your serger. And then I like to get into actually making a quilt. It's fast. You can have really consistent seam allowances, even with a serger, just by getting to know where your needles and your blade are at. And, you know, start putting together some uh, fat quarters. The first quilt that I ever made on my serger was literally just fat quarters sewn together that I put a backing on. And then I did big quilted designs in the middle of my fat quarters, just because I was experimenting with seam allowances. And then I've kind of gotten a little bit more into it. And now I actually um, enjoy doing a serger quilt in a day where you literally serge backing, batting, and top together in rows. It's basically a big stitch and flip, and it Mm. creates a really durable quilt. So can you just um, tell people who might not actually be familiar with the serger, because it works differently than a regular sewing machine, and it's it's finishing the edges. So that's where, from a quilter standpoint, it's a lot more thread work than we're used to. Right. It is a lot more thread. You do have a thicker seam. And if you think about the insides of your garments, you have that that seam inside of them that has one or two needles, and then you've got what we call looper threads that are on the top and bottom. And the serger, what's special about it is it actually trims the edge of your fabric and then completely covers it with thread. So you don't have to worry about anything raveling it, and it's a very sturdy stitch. So it is a little bit more thread than, you know, just a a really thin, beautiful piece of 50 weight orifil, right? So, <laughs> right. So, but, it, but it is a little bit more thread. Um, and in the stitch and flip method, because you are flipping your batting, you get a little bit more thickness in your mm-hmm. seam as well. But it's not too bad. Now, when you're – do people leave, like, that thread – we don't have, like, rag quilts. They're, they're textured. Um, mm-hmm. Do people ever leave all that thread work seams exposed on a quilt? I have put really thick, pretty stuff in my loopers and used it for the edging of my quilts, you know, in place mm. of a binding even. Oh. And that's one of my favorite techniques. Because with a serger, you can use much, much thicker threads than you can oh. through your sewing machine needle. And that would be fun because a lot of us, um, you know, we get really, we love that thicker thread, but we're not really sure how to play around with it. Right. Um, oh, neat. Now, you know, I think, Sometimes people are scared of the serger because it's just such a different type of machine. What is like maybe the one or two things that people need to know so they can kind of get going? To get going with a serger. So my first couple of tips would be don't be so intimidated by it Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I think sometimes we hold back because we're scared of it. Um, and to make sure that you've got a good serger that's easy to use, obviously, I love the baby lock serger. There's nothing easier to use than that. Um, and and just get to know where your blade is and use good quality thread. Because I think the one thing I hear about is the threading of it. I don't know if this is like an old wives' tale, you know, like a myth from the Middle Ages. You know, they're hard to thread. Um, do they come with guides? I mean, I assume they, they're 
they tell you. Yeah, and some are much easier to use than others. Sergers are kind of by nature this temperamental machine. Um, So if you've got a really good one, you know, the baby lock has air threading loopers and needles now, which makes it a lot easier. Yes, and it comes (laughs) with this really great chart that shows you exactly where to set all the tension. It's just a tension knob instead of turning Mm -hmm. the tension dials on a lot of our older sergers. It's literally just an ABCD lever. So there is a really nice card that takes you step-by-step how to set the machine up. Then you thread it, and you're ready to go. Yeah, Yeah, I figured there were probably, you know, you just needed to sit down and think about it and look at what was provided, and it can't, you know... It, it's and of course we love we love our baby locks so you know they have they were they the first people who made a serger for for home use did I read that somewhere Yeah, I actually love that question. So um, the old story is that uh, Nick Ticconi, who started the company, it's now his granddaughter running it, um, started it with $1,500 that he won playing craps in the service. He was like (laughs) betting. Isn't that funny? And he had seen these giant industrial overlocking machines, and they were specific to a technique in garment factories. And he thought, you know what, it would be really neat if I could come up with a smaller version of these overlocking machines, a baby overlocker, to take to the home sewing market. So here we are with Baby Lock. Ah, I love that. I love that story. <laughs> okay, okay cool? so I'm going to ask you another, another for another story because being that you travel and you teach and you meet a lot of people, is there, is there some sort of funny story you can share, you know, that doesn't embarrass everybody? Maybe just you. <laughs> You know, I I have one that's sort of embarrassing on my blog, but a a really funny one is I was traveling to film a show, and my power went out at home, and I was not able to complete my step-outs. I know they should be done like three weeks in advance, but that's just Mm -hmm. not my life. (laughs) So so I was working on it at the last minute, and my power went out at home, and it was out for days. So I ended up taking a sewing machine on the plane with me, and I had it in my carry-on bag, and when I went through security, I got a a kind of a nasty look from the TSA agent, and I said, what, you've never seen a sewing machine in a checked bag before or a carry-on mm-hmm. bag? And he said, well, most people know to take it out. Pardon me. So oh. um, on the way back through, I I learned my lesson, and I took my uh, sewing machine out of my carry-on and put it in the bin to go through security. And then I got called aside again mm-hmm. because it turns out that the first time through, the sewing machine had concealed the real weapon in my carry-on bag, which was a corkscrew. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so, so I had my corkscrew confiscated by TSA. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't the machine, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Busted twice for a sewing machine. I know they obviously had no sewing people, anybody sewing in their family. Otherwise they would have, you know, gotten more excited about that. Oh my yeah. gosh. Traveling is, uh, is really a crazy, crazy thing. So what are you working on right now? We have about a minute. Um, right now I'm working on uh, a quilt for the store. I'm doing a really cool Dresden fan that uh, for the centers of the circles, I'm actually going to use some of the fills built into the IQ designer on my destiny. So I'm kind of doing a little embroidery slash traditional quilting combo block, which has been a lot of fun. Oh, neat. Now I want to come see it. You'll have to send me a picture. <laughs> I will. Please do. <laughs> yeah. All right. So everybody can visit you, Sarah, at SoPositivelySarah.com. Find your videos and then also at, visit you at the store at DecorativeStitch.com. So uh, I really, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. Definitely. I would love to come back and chat with you again. 
Oh, perfect. So this is American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and we'll be right back uh, in a minute. Choose from more than 100 of your favorite patterns from American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilts and More, and Quilt Sampler, all available online. Buy downloadable patterns today at apqshop.com. Hi, I'm Linda Augsburg, Executive Editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and I'd like to invite you to join me in making pillowcases and creating smiles. For people who love to sew or quilt, it's so easy to lift spirits and bring smiles to hospitalized kids, homeless families, and others in need. Simply join American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine's One Million Pillowcase Challenge. Make one, two, or many more pillowcases and donate them in your local community. You'll create just as many smiles. Join the movement today. Find complete details, download free patterns, and record your donations online at allpeoplequilt.com backslash Million Pillowcases. Quilt along with us in 2016. Join our third annual quilt along by making a quilt, a one-block pillow, or all four projects featuring plus sign designs. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash quiltalong for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Follow American Patchwork and Quilting on Pinterest to find ideas for bags, baby projects, pillowcases, storage and organization, and more. Visit Pinterest.com backslash APQ Magazine to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and in my Learn Something New show today, the second part, my second guest, is I'm actually going to learn something about new fibers, new-to-me fibers, things that I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, I was lucky enough to run into Patricia Bellier of Ocon Arts at one of the shows and we started chatting and I'm like, okay, I need to know a lot more about what Patricia does. And so very lucky she can be here for, uh, for a half an hour to talk about, uh, Japanese fabrics and her passion for them. Patricia, thanks for being here. My pleasure. You know, one of the things I want to do is get a little backstory because um, I just, uh, you kind of crack me up because you're like, I didn't intend to be a quilter. Um, you know, what happened? How did you become one? Well, I'll have to weave in Japan into this because we're going to talk about Japanese textiles. But uh, I was merrily going along. I was in the corporate design world. I led a creative agency in Seattle. So kind of big-time um, projects. And uh, I fulfilled my lifetime dream of going to Japan when I was 50. And then I made a quilt when I was 53, a baby quilt for one of my employees. Mm-hmm. And um, after I made that quilt with a borrowed sewing machine on the corner of my dining room table and meeting Maureen Noble, uh, a quilter at my church, I just got sparked. I went crazy. I made this first quilt, didn't know what I was doing, but then I kept going. And over five years of working full-time at my job, I was 
quilting more than full time any hour that was left in the day. So you know that sounds like so many of us, Patricia. So many of us just just like you get that spark. But you know what? I want to go back one step. Why? did you want to go to Japan? Since this sort of sparked a whole change in, in you, what was it about Japan that you wanted to experience? Well, I think, I think there's many people in the world who want to go to Japan. I just always wanted to. And the only way I can think it was in my kind of being was my father used to get National Geographic when I was a kid. And he never threw one away, like the piles of those yellow frame magazines that we find in many homes. So I would have looked at pictures of Japan when I was a kid. And then uh, when I was almost 40, I told my husband, I'm going to go to Japan for a month. And it never happened. The life Mm -hmm. got in the way. And so I was getting close to my 50th birthday, and I thought, half a century, I've got to go. So I went the year of my 50th birthday to fulfill something that was just in me. So no explanation. <laughs> How long were you there on that trip? Did you did you do a month like you originally planned? <laughs> Not yep. at all. So I'm this crazy busy person. And this is what it took for me to put the stake in the ground. It was a five-day trip. And one of those days was travel. Four days oh, yeah. in Kyoto. Just to say, I did it. That's mm-hmm. that's what I did, and that uh, was the beginning of a sea change in my life. So um, that was the first trip. Let's just say, and it was wonderful. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think you've been a few more times since. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I tend to get there at least once a year now. So when you made that baby quilt, Patricia, did was it with the textiles that that were from Japan? Oh, no. No, no, no. Not at all. No, it's funny. My first trips to Japan, I wasn't even a quilter. I wouldn't have known what to look for in textiles. I was going to temples and shrines. The first quilt was made out of clothing from the Goodwill store because as a non-quilter, I thought the quilts were made out of old clothes. Yeah. (laughs) I went to the store and got old clothes. But as I continued my trips to Japan... I did discover this old fabric that was vintage yukata cotton, but that was about, mm, that's a good question. Uh, This is all very confusing. About Mm -hmm. three years after I started quilting, I was Mm -hmm. in a store and I found these short width fabrics under the counter. Mm -hmm. And I bought some yardage. It was kids' yukata cottons and brought it home, made a quilt with it, and said to people, what is this narrow width cotton from Japan? And no one knew. No one knew what I was talking about. But I found more, and there's more of a story there, I'll just say. Yes, well, yeah, we're going to explore that. Now, first of all, tell me what yukata is. What, you know, what did, you know, you, it was, it's this narrow width, but what, what kind of fiber? Is it cotton? Is it thick? Well, let's, let's just backtrack one second and say okay. what a yukata is. A yukata is an unlined, casual, summer cotton kimono. So it's a, it's, a yukata basically means a summer kimono. But to make a yukata, you would use one bolt, one tan mono of this cotton that's narrow width. Why is it narrow width? It's the width of the sleeves or the wings 
and half of the robe. Mm. And so one bolt of yukata cotton, 11 to 12 meters, makes one kimono. Oh, okay. So it had a purpose. They were they actually weave this uh, in that size, right? Because and it's it's easier to use it that way for the clothing that they're making. Well, you probably haven't talked to someone who deals with silk from Japan, but for mm-hmm. the silk kimonos, same idea: fourteen to fifteen oh, okay. inches wide. It's mm-hmm. what you use to make a kimono. Mm-hmm. Neat. Now, when. Tell me a little bit about the patterns because, you know, at your um, Ocon art site, you know, people can go to your website and see what you have in your store and sort of look at the patterns. But talk me through what is on them. Are they all vibrant and printed or do they come in solids? And, you know, what what is it? Oh, yeah. They they don't tend to come in solids. They do. They're, they're patterned. But mm-hmm. the way they apply their motifs is they're, they're hand-dyed through cut paper stencils. So that really pretty peony motif you might see hand-dyed in in silk is now simplified and bolder. And of all things, bigger. It's almost like uh, Japan does Marimiko fabrics, some of them. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. so simplified and exciting. And then with this hand-dyeing, you get really vibrant colors. So scale has changed um, uh, from what we would think of for, you know, run-of-the-mill, you know, know, your fabrics, what we normally buy fabrics. It's big patterns, many of them, floral, geometrics, abstracts. Um, All I can say is this fabric is hand-dyed in workshops, and every season they have to come out with new patterns, and there's millions of people in Japan. So there's right. millions of <laughs> bolts of this stuff, and I buy old stuff. I buy 20 to 60-year-old vintage yukata cotton bolts. That's what oh. I work with. Oh, okay. All right, so you prefer the older because it's uh, more rare, or why, why do you prefer the older? Well, in Japan, there's no translation for the word vintage. The translation is used. And there's not a desire in Japan for people to have used things. So oh. when these are vintage bolts, they're available at a price that we can afford. If it was this year's hand-dyed bolt of yukata cotton, I'm telling you, 12 meters, that might be $1,000. So we, oh, can't wow. buy, we can't afford today's yukata cotton, but we can afford the ones that are dead stock or at flea markets. Or mm-hmm. think about this. Grandma bought it to make a yukata 30 years ago. She never used it, and it's available in an estate sale. So I'm buying from people all over Japan who have this older stock. But mm-hmm. um, I do wonder when there won't be any left, but I'm st- still buying it almost every day of the week to import. They can find it from you if they're looking for for it because you have <laughs> – you have the uh, the mother load of it. Uh, well, I have, I believe, the largest collection outside of Japan, but I've done something that would never happen in Japan. I've opened the bolts and sold yardage. So no one in Japan wants it because they can't make a yukata out of it. It's now eight meters left. Or, do you see what I'm getting at? So this mm-hmm. thing of, first of all, having this old fabric 
and selling it as yardage is very unusual. Not not you're not going to see that in Japan. Mm-hmm. So, but this is excellent though for quilters and and artists here then because they can buy just a piece of it from you. They don't have to buy the whole dang bolt. That's what I say. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And the thing that's toughest about it, Pat, is this fabric is out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. So it's a stretch for some people because it's got these bigger patterns, so you can't cut it into the really little pieces that mm-hmm. many people think of for quilting. I cut it into big pieces and have created a different style of quilt. That is what we're definitely going to talk about next because you um, have written a book uh, called East Meets West Quilts, uh, Explore Improv with Japanese-inspired designs. You have this whole sort of way of approaching these large prints. Um, you know, what? just before we take our break, tell me about the colorations, because I'm looking at your website, and you have, like, white with indigo, indigo with color. Can you just tell me real briefly what that means before we talk about the book? Traditionally, the Japanese were printing all their yukata cottons, indigo and white. And some people are looking for that palette. And then in the 60s, they got wild and crazy, a little psychedelic. They added color to their indigo designs. And then they moved forward in time and they said, oh, we can print this with no indigo in the patterns. And they became very vivid. So it's just the full span of what's available. But it's also to help shoppers. They're looking for red. They can go over into the red-pink section. Mm-hmm, but the mm-hmm. indigo is traditional. Oh, okay. So that is the, it's gorgeous. I mean, I love big, bold prints. I mean, you're just talking my language here. So this is, <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, Patricia. And when we come back, we're going to dive into uh, your book and then how you use this and sort of give people the tools about how to do something gorgeous, Okay. Sounds great. All right. We'll be right back uh, with American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Slow. See you in a minute. Boost your sewing skills from start to finish with daily tips from the editors of American Patrick and Quilting. Visit tips.allpeoplequilt.com for inspiration. Hi, I'm Linda Augsburg. Join me for a fun video series called Show Me How, brought to you by Baby Luck. Each month, I'll show you how to complete a simple project from start to finish. Learn new techniques, see tips, and sew a great project with me. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash videos to watch. Get two full years of American Patrick and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com. Take an ultimate shop-hop tour of 11 top quilt shops. You'll find them all in the current issue of Quilt Sampler, available now at your local quilt shop or on newsstands.
welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and I'm so excited to be learning about Japanese fibers called yukata with Patricia Bellier. Uh, she owns Ocon Arts. And so, Patricia, you decided to start really working with these large-scale prints in some unique ways. And I know one of the the words that, that you use is you talk about, like, blank canvas concepts. Is that sort of a core of what you put in your book? Well, actually, the book is based on the Hachi Quilt Manifesto, which is in the front of the book. Mm -hmm. And you just said my new blank canvas concept. Because I wrote a book and I worked on it for three years, that was (laughs) one idea. And Mm -hmm. I handed off that manuscript and all the photos a year ago so my new thing is these blank canvases I'm making, but that's not in the book. It's oh, I'm okay. on fire on it right now. I'm having a great time, <laughs> but they won't find it in the book. This is post-manuscript delivery work at this point, so ah. a, new, a new thing. So yeah. well, There's always something new to look forward to, which is good. So let's talk about the book then, and, and uh, then if we have time, we'll just do a little quick about your, your blank canvas. So when Sounds you great. Did, when you Yeah, when you laid out the book, tell me the format. What are people, how should people use this? Oh, great question. Well, first of all, I introduce some of my ideas of how I feel about quilting and how this could all come together and introduce the idea of this Japanese fabric. Then I have a manifesto that has five simple rules in it. And basically, it's called Hachi Quilt Manifesto. Hachi is the number eight in Japanese. All the blocks in the book are eight-inch blocks. Now, that's pretty big for quilters. That is. That That is is. cool. And the eight-inch blocks are each made with two fabrics, a solid and a Japanese or a Japanese-inspired fabric. So so the Hachi Quilt Manifesto says it's going to be eight-inch blocks, The blocks are made with two fabrics. The position is um, sort of like broken rail, horizontal, vertical. Mm -hmm. The fourth rule is add an unexpected visitor, which means throw something (laughs) in that's a conversation starter. And the fifth is break any rule that you want. And that's what, like, swings the door open for all sorts of ways to play with this manifesto. But it's very simple. So the book shows 17 quilts that have been made using this idea. Mm-hmm. And what I will say is I think a little different is the front of the quilt is shown. And when you look at the end of each instruction, you're going to see a photo of the back of the quilt. Which you know, I, I noticed that and I thought that is really cool because you're showcasing fabric in a different way on the back plus the quilting. Well, the thing is, There's two sides of a quilt. You're sort of missing 50% of it when you don't talk about the back of the quilt. So I I can't help myself. I I, I didn't follow anyone else's rules for quilt books. I just said, I love making the back of my quilt. It's part of the process. So we show the back of all the quilts. Okay, Um, so I have to ask this question on the one that I think it is the back. And it's... um... Oh, I'm not even. It's it's Nori Dash P is the oh the Nori P quilt. Yes, yes, right. yes. So, so but I re- I'm looking at it. And I thought it said like no rip. Like I, 
Ah, it's the name of a pop star. Her name was Nori P. She hit the wavelengths when she was 16 and was an instant pop star. And so I've managed to pick up novelty fabric from the Nori P days with her name on it. And then if you look carefully, you'll see her signature, which is a little guy, her autograph Mm -hmm. with three hairs. That was if if you got her to sign something, your arm or your book, she'd draw that little man. So I made that out of Nori P fabric, uh, which was fun to find that I managed over time to have different, like five colors of it. So I made something with it. Yeah, Nori P. That is so funny. How interesting. Now, I love I love the quilts. I love how they look. Is there a, you know, they showcase that fabric so nicely and your formula is is really a great kickstart for that for people. How does this cut up as a quilter? You know, I want to know, like, how does it cut up? Does it fray? You know, do I have to do something special with the seams, make a smaller stitch length? You know, give me a little bit of that. It's hand-dyed cotton, just like the only thing is, it's just like the cotton you would buy at the store to make a quilt, except Mm -hmm. for it is hand-dyed, which means the Mm -hmm. colors are more luscious. So that's why I paired it with solids, because Mm -hmm. solids are dyed. Think about it. It's the same color on both sides. It's dyed. So it looks great with batiks and with solids, because when you put this Yukata cotton with today's printed fabrics, they look a little bit like, um, they don't look as gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But you're going to find the second half of the book, I moved to contemporary fabrics that you can find at the store in your stash. Did you catch on? Once you get to Lucky Owls and you go to the end of the book, mm-hmm. that's all contemporary fabric. That is ah. not vintage Yukata cotton. So okay. that you can buy that fabric online or buy that fabric in the shop or one of them, Lotus, I didn't buy any of that fabric. All my girlfriends gave me fabrics from their stashes. Oh, <laughs> that's if good. You, if you look at the one called Festival, which is quite black and white, but very mm-hmm. colorful with the chevrons, the mm-hmm. um, Riley Blake chevrons, I bought all that fabric in Mood in New York. Mm-hmm. Japanese-inspired, oh. but not yes. Japanese. It's yeah. like European fabrics. So um, so I tended to put the contemporary fabrics together if I was making a quilt or the vintage fabrics together if I was making a quilt. I didn't, I actually in that book, I never crossed them over. I didn't put them together like new and old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that it really works though because it gives everybody a chance to see how to use these great big gorgeous prints. I mean, I teach a lot and, when, and people bring these gorgeous large prints, um, a lot of them Asian, and it's hard to cut them up because you totally lose the effect. You know, there's one um, quilt in there. I'm kind of a a bold designer girl, and there's one quilt (laughs) made with those fussy Japanese fabrics that have the gold overprint. It's near Mm -hmm. the back pad. It's called Mm -hmm. Gilded Garden. It's Kona Bay and Alexander Henry Japanese reproduction fabrics. Mm -hmm. And I thought someone gave me a bin of it and I thought, oh, I'm not going to like making this. I love that quilt and mm-hmm. people who don't quilt and if you show them all the quilts in the book, that's mm-hmm. the one they like the best. Oh. It's the one made with just the reproduction Japanese fabric that we 
normally think if we went into a store, that's what we'd be looking for. You know, there's the cranes and the little peonies, but everything's got little gold overprinting. So it works. This Hachi Quilt Manifesto works for all of these fabrics. And I kept it Japanese-themed. I didn't try cowboy fabric or today's other fabric, (laughs) but it would work with everything. It's a book Mm -hmm. that opens doors. Yeah, it's it, and I like that part of it because people can take it and go another step further with it with their other fabrics. Um, tell me a little bit about what goes on at your shop because it is open to the public and you have workshops and things like that. So I have a very petite shop. It looks like it, you walk into it, you feel like you're in Japan because it's small. It's by appointment only. It's on the lower level of my home. And Mm -hmm. Seattle has a bylaw that if you have a home-based business, it can only be by appointment, which Mm -hmm. frees me from having to have a store open, you know, nine to five. It's great. Mm -hmm. And the folks who tend to get to my store in Seattle tend to be destination shoppers. They come from Australia or New York or Arkansas. Seattleites, they don't want to make an appointment to go run to a fabric store. <laughs> right. So do, do you get that? <laughs> yes. So people write and they say, I'm going to be in Seattle five days. I want yeah. to come. That's how I end up having shoppers in my shop. Not mm-hmm. so much someone uh, walks from uh, another part of Seattle or arrives from another part of Seattle. So they email me or they call me normally by email and make an appointment. Mm-hmm. I do have weekend workshops in the shop. And there's only five students in that class. It's, I do a two-day workshop. We work in the in stations in the shop, and then we go upstairs into my studio where I sew for lunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a very small amount of people. And so those those sell out pretty fast because there's only five per workshop there. Wow. Yeah, there's like petite classes too then. It's uh It's very hands-on. Well, those my workshops, I teach curves. I love to teach people how to add their curves to their quilts. So the Hachi Quilt Manifesto, that book is, it's pretty simple. I think you can read the book and you can learn it. I have taught it as a one-day class, but I tend to do two-day or one-week workshops that are all about creativity and curves. That's, um, that's something the world needs and wants is curves. They do, well, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can. It's easy to do straight lines, but what? That's right. You know, what are some good ideas for? It's something people can take away. And my fabrics look great with curved piecing. Well, to wrap up, I want you to go back to the blank canvas concept and just give us a brief, and then then people can start to follow you and read your blog and sort of get in tune with what you're doing um, doing next. Well, my new thing is I'm making 60 by 60 inch quilts, and the grid is made with 12 inch blocks. Like, I'm not kidding, a 12 inch Mm. piece of fabric, no piecing within the 12 inches. Then I make this big piece of fabric out of either contrast fabric or fabric that looks alike, and then I figure out how to insert curved elements. That mm. comp- What does this need that complement it? And some people say, don't do anything. But that's my challenge is how to add something that um, intrigues me. So that's mm-hmm. my blank canvas. It's kind of like my big grid inserted mm-hmm. curves project but I have to make a blank canvas to insert something into it, and it's a 
it's Ooh. pieced together. It sounds like an awesome workshop. I mean, uh, you know, or, or sort of process. That is so cool, Patricia. Um, and you have a little bit about this on your blog, and I'm sure, like at Facebook, uh, you have a yeah, Facebook page. Yeah, I've been page. putting it up on Facebook and Instagram. I actually mm. haven't blogged about it yet. I've been okay. making a lot of these, but none of them are finished, Pat. I've got about oh. ten of them. Got a big <laughs> job ahead of me. Yes. Well, Patricia, this has been so much fun. I I feel like I learned like something incredibly new. Like now I want to go have some of this fabric and play with it. Sounds great. Well, it was a joy to talk with you. Thanks for calling, Pat. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, everybody can visit Patricia Bellier at Ocon Arts, and you can look that up, O-K-A-N-A-R-T-S dot com. We'll be right back after this break and I tell you about new experiences the last of my new for today looking for fresh simple and fun projects and ideas check out the current issue of quilts and more magazine at your local quilt shop or on newsstands join American Patrick and quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration tips giveaways and more Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ Magazine. See our editors share their tips, ideas, and techniques by visiting allpeoplequilt.com and clicking on videos. See what other quilters are up to on the American Patchwork and Quilting page on Facebook. Simply go to facebook.com and search for APQ Magazine. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. It's Pat Sloan, and I am now going to wrap up with a segment where I'm going to share the last new thing for the show, which is new experiences. I've had um, an amazing new experience with being uh, asked to have an exhibit at the Virginia Quilt Museum of my quilts. And so I thought I'd give you a little um, peek at how that whole new experience went. You know, what was it like? Now, on my Facebook group, Quilt Along with Pat Sloan, I actually did some Facebook Live from the day while we were setting up. My husband, Greg, and I went down with 19 quilts to set up the exhibit. Um, In advance, I had to do a lot of work. And so I want to tell you that. I want to kind of talk. I think I've talked about it before, a little bit of the advance, so I'll do that short. Um, But being asked to create something of, you know, to take all your own work and walk through it and figure out how there's a story, just like the show here, there's an underlying story today of, of new. Uh, I had to figure out what in all of my quilts went together. And Paula Golden from the museum helped me in the beginning to come up with a theme. And I'm pretty much, I'm showing you in my exhibit of my pieces Quilts that are published, you know, work that you would see in a magazine or have seen in a book or a single pattern of mine. Uh, And then I have quilts that are not published quilts. They might have been a challenge. I did one with men's suiting. They might have been uh, something that I did personal like a very, very long time ago before I was even in the business. I have a piece there which kind of was a kickstart of me using a published pattern and totally sort of changing it up. Uh, for each of the 19 quilts, I had to write up the story, tell you what this quilt is about, 
why is it important to the mix of what is here? Uh, and that was um, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was also work, <laughs> but it was fun work. So uh, it's it, you, if you ever think about your own quilts, if you had to go through your own quilts and pull out a bunch of them that would hang in two rooms, the museum has given me two full rooms. I mean, it is just I don't know. It's kind of incredible. Uh, you'll you'll see them on the video, and then later I'll be doing some posts about it. And I'm actually, I'll, I'll tell you at the end here when I'm at the museum. I'm there one of the days, so you can come in and say hello. So we had all this all figured out in advance. I did like a floor plan, and I took all the measurements of my quilts, and I actually knew where the quilts would go. But the museum also suggested. Um, because, you know, they've done this a lot, and it's brand new for me. So they said, why don't you bring a couple of extra smaller pieces? Just because, you you know, you might uh, end up wanting to move some things around. Um, and what happened was I, I had prepared them, so they were all ready. There's labels. There's these, you know, story um, labels that go on the wall next to the quilt, just like any museum. You know, when you look at a piece, there's something that tells you about it. I had to have all those created. And my wonderful publisher, Martin Gale, printed and laminated all of those so that they could hang on the wall. Uh, and I brought everything, so just in case. And it turned out, you know, when, I, when we got there, we did a little bit of adjusting and were able to hang all of them. And so that was some extra pieces that originally I didn't think were going to hang in the museum. So, you know, the day we get there, it's totally empty. It's two empty, you know, rooms. Your wall space is totally empty. And this is an old house. The home is pre-Civil War that the museum is in. It's in downtown Harrisonburg, Virginia, um, which is uh, just beautiful. I've been there before. The day that we set up, of course, it was raining. Uh, so it's like, okay, well, that's the day. Uh, it was raining. But it wasn't too bad, and we were basically inside the whole time. But I didn't go down and walk the town. But we had to hang all these pieces, and in a museum, there has to be a way to hang the pieces. And, of course, you know, they're pros at this. They've been uh, in had the museum for, I think, 20 years. Uh, so they have a whole series of these magnetic strips. They're, well, metal strips with these magnets that sort of hold everything to the wall. They also have large hanging rods, you know, think like curtain rods. They're painted white. And so the larger quilts, we could actually use ex the existing rod system that was in the room. Uh, but for flexibility, which is amazing, com I've, I've just learned now, another new thing we learned is how amazing command strips are. I had never used them. I didn't really, you know, just hadn't just hadn't used them. And so that's how we would put the metal. We'd have to make metal strips by duct taping them together to get them to the size for the actual quilts uh, so that you didn't see them peeking out the edges. You know, they're not pretty. Uh, we don't want them all behind the scenes. Uh, so we had to create all that. And that's basically what, you know, Greg was doing. I was going along figuring out, like laying things out, being sure where they were going to go. Did they really fit the space? Did they... Would it be better over here? You know, we didn't make too many changes. We didn't really want to do that, but um, having a plan really helped. You go in with a plan, 
we knew pretty much what was going to happen. At the same time, other things were going on in the museum. The museum has three exhibits at a time. This Everything has to come down. Everything has to be cleaned. Then new things go up. And everybody sets up at different times. And then they had board meetings going on. So there was it was a busy day uh, there at the facility. It took us a while uh, going through that. We wanted to take our time. They wanted to be sure it looked nice. Then we had to go and... Uh, be sure things were level, and you had to be sure then the the write-ups were level. I mean, there was a lot of leveling going on. That's what I had Greg for, because he does that really well. That's I can tell, but it's like not my strong point to be figuring that out. Um, I'm like, I need somebody who that they really like to see things you know, straight, and yeah, that was Greg's job. So as the pieces were going along, we had a big sheet on the floor, because uh, to get the quilts there, I had in advance prepped them like two days before so they were all really flat and wrinkle-free as could be. And we laid them flat on my living room floor because luckily I could do that. After I moved the dining room, uh, the, the coffee table out of the way, they the biggest one just fit. And then we rolled them up into this, in a sheet, like this great big long roll, like think like a large carpet roll. And that's how we got them into the museum. And then put them on the floor there. That way, you know, we didn't in- introduce any new wrinkles. Uh, we we didn't really want to do that. So when they were all up and all finished, um, it was quite incredible to walk around and see everything. And really was like, wow, it's kind of neat to have that much space to to show to show what you're doing. The Museum, I'm on the lower level of the museum. That room, the one room actually has a window, and the other room actually has a walkout to a patio outside. Um, I don't know that, how often they use that patio, but it's there. Uh, and I have, I would think, some really nice wall space, but it's more like, looks more like a traditional room. But when you go upstairs, on the, the, uh, for the, the, I would call it the main level, which is, um, where you go up the staircase and you come in this grand, huge porch into the museum because it was a home and they've taken out some of the walls, but still the downstairs was quite grand. And, and you can look, you can read about it at the, it's vaquiltmuseum.org. Um, you know, the rooms were empty because that, those exhibits had not been set up yet. So uh, they were, the ceilings are very tall. The lighting is much different. There's a whole lot more windows, and they're tall windows in that particular space on, on that floor. Then up on the upper level, this home, uh, they were telling me, has been expanded by many years ago by prior owners. Um, and so there's offices upstairs, and there's more rooms upstairs. So one of the exhibits is a... Um, Let's see, that exhibit, is, there's a modern quilt exhibit going on with mine, and that one was not hung yet, but the other exhibit was a challenge. That's right, I'm just uh, trying to remember what it was, and it was a challenge um, where 13 perspectives, and they're, they're art quilters, and so those pieces were quite interesting. I was able to see that whole exhibit set up, and there's a library there, and the last thing um, that I found interesting, and I don't know what norm, what else goes in that room, but there's a room of vintage uh, sewing machines. But they're toys, all tiny little toys, and they're just so darling. Uh, 
they don't have a lot of information on them because it was a gift to the museum. And the person who gave them uh, hadn't documented too much. So, But they're all there, and they look really, really sweet. Um, I liked them a lot. I was, like, picking out my favorites. So I want to wrap up um, with one little um, sort of new, maybe new to you thing to do. I was talking um, about using rickrack on my group the other day. And, you know, this is fiber, and it's not something that everybody's used because uh, in quilts we don't put a lot of rickrack. But there are two types of um, rickrack that are out there. So look for either poly or cotton. And when I stitch down the rickracks, I stitch it down with a straight stitch right down the middle if it's small. And I use a zigzag, which I test first to try to get as much of the rickrack in the zigzag. You know, you just set up a little test. And I do that uh, for larger rickrack. If it's cotton, I've also done French knots on each curve, which I know sounds super crazy, but it's really, really, really cute. Um, and I really like that because the cotton will curl up more than the nylon will when you're working with it. Okay, so that was one other little tip I wanted to give you on something new. So if you are in uh, Virginia between September, well, between now uh, and December 16th, visit Harrisonburg, Virginia to the Virginia Quilt Museum and see my exhibit. So I hope you enjoyed this show uh, with um, new things. I don't know what you learned new, but I learned tons. And I will um, chat with you next week when uh, we have a new show, when I have a new show. So I'm Pat Sloan. Visit me at patsloan.com. Uh, all I'm doing on Facebook at Quilts Along with Pat Sloan. And visit the magazine, American Patchwork and Quilting. Uh, at, at, you can find them at All People Quilt online. And from there, you can find all of their places like Facebook and Instagram and their Pinterest account. So take care and we'll see you next time. Remember to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio.